0: Going to have a discussion here that I think is something that just seems to get bigger and bigger almost daily, really, if you think about the gig economy and the impact that it is having um, around the world and in our country, of course. Um, think what the pandemic did to the gig economy. It forced a lot of us to rely on delivery services more than ever before. And a lot of, you know, new industries sprung up around, you know, groceries. I mean, you name it, the deliveries are they're ubiquitous now. Uh, thousands of uh, skip the dishes and DoorDash drivers joined Uber and Instacart drivers. And um, it's a large and growing sector of our workforce. And till now, it's been quite different from traditional employees and employers in, in many respects and not always in good ways for workers. So do we need to put some sort of rules and regulations around this part of our workforce that up until now has been largely unregulated. Uh, to get some details on that, we're going to chat now with Jim Stanford, who's an economist and director of the Vancouver-based Centre for Future Work. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Shay.
0: This really is something that I think is, is you know, it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and something that eventually we have to deal with, because it, it, it just how unregulated is this quote-unquote gig economy right now in Canada? There's really not a lot of legal framework around it at all, is there?
1: Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I think probably the first way that most of us encountered this type of work was through the ride share business, you know, the Ubers and Lyfts uh, and so on. Um, and then it spread into food delivery. It's spread into technology, uh, jobs and programming. Uh, it's spread into a whole range of things. Now, for example, you can use gig-type services to arrange for Home care or disability services uh, for people who need uh, that type of care. So, this definitely is spreading. Um, And it was a bit of a wild west uh, originally because it was a new business model. And I think politicians and regulators were a bit slow to respond to it, partly because they were cowed, I think, by this aura of innovation and uh, sort of technological breakthrough and so on that the industry. Uh, provided. So they weren't even collecting GST and some of the other regular fees and taxes at the beginning. Now, that's been clamped down on. But the labor relations aspect of it is still very much a wild west. And uh, I think we are going to see pushback in the courts and the labor boards. Uh, right now, the the gig companies, by and large, um pretend that their workers are not employees, but are instead so-called independent contractors, as if each Uber driver is running their own independent business, uh, which really doesn't make sense given the reality of that relationship, and I think that is being uh, rolled back and challenged uh, all over the world, really, and, and it will be in Canada as well.
0: Well, that that's the question, Jim. Like, if I if I start a new job at you know, this convenience store, this gas station, or this radio station, it it doesn't matter. Um, Each of those companies may have their own specific rules, but there's also the overarching government rules that are in place, things like minimum wage, working hours, I mean, all kinds of different employee protections that are just for all of us. Um, That doesn't apply to any of these gig workers, right? If I'm driving for Uber, there's no minimum wage.
1: No, there certainly isn't. And there's no workers' compensation and there's no payment into your Canada pension plan and you don't qualify for sick pay or paid holiday each year or any of the normal things that we have come to demand of employers. You know, right. We have put in place those rules because we recognize uh, if people are in a desperate situation, and there are many people desperate to today given the COVID pandemic and everything else, uh, they will uh, work for peanuts and they will put themselves in dangerous situations. So that's why we have things like a minimum wage now, with this uh, gig business model, the companies have uh, argued that because they're assigning each job on a smartphone app, somehow those rules don't apply to them. And uh, I think it's uh, fairly transparent, and it ha- it has been overturned in, in different courts. It's going to take some time uh, for labor advocates to bring those cases to court and to the labor boards. And I think uh, for legislators to say there may be cases where we need to clarify the rules to make sure that just because you get your instructions from an algorithm yeah. rather than a human boss, that doesn't mean that you're now your own independent business, which, you know, when you think about it, is is nonsense in most of these cases.
0: How would it get to the level where there is this sort of, I mean, it's political action, I guess, have some of these gig workers tried to unite and form, for lack of a better word, unions to try and yeah, get some no. of these changes?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's one of the legal victories that has already occurred in Canada. It has been confirmed in an Ontario uh, Labour Board hearing uh, that uh, gig workers are indeed what what is called in the law dependent contractors, uh, which means they may not be full-out employees in the conventional sense, but they have some of the rights of conventional employees, including the right to form a union. And one group of gig workers at a, a food delivery company called Foodora did form a union in Ontario, and then the company promptly Just <laughs> shut <left. laughs> down and left Canada, which in a way kind of proves that the only thing keeping these businesses going is the ability to hire people without paying them the minimum wage. In fact, even then, Shay, it's not clear they can keep going. Even the biggest ones like Uber have never made a dollar, not one dollar in profit. So there's lots of questions about the fundamental viability of this business model, but it's all the rage among some of the stock brokers and some of the tech gurus and so on who think this is the wave of the future. Uh, I tend to think that the net is going to close around these companies uh, so that it will be gradually confirmed that, yes, they do have to pay the minimum wage. uh, They do have to have workers' compensation. Some of these jobs are very dangerous. Think about delivering food on a bicycle, right? We see that all over at night. And when do you want someone to bring you the food? On a cold, wet, rainy night, right? (laughs) Exactly. And that that's the most dangerous time to be out on your bike. So by all means, these people have to have the basic protections that the rest of us have.
0: Are there any of these um, gig, I mean, the companies that these gig workers are contracted to or working for, however you want to define it, have any of them shown any interest in coming up with some sort of framework to treat their employees like other companies do? Or do they take full advantage of the fact that it's unregulated?
1: Well, in other parts of the world, uh, they've been forced to. You know, so there are places, New York City, for example, requires that um, rideshare drivers be paid at least a minimum wage. Okay. Um, whether they're, a, a, you know, whether they're a contractor or an employee or whatever you call them, you've got to give them the minimum wage. So that has forced Uber and Lyft and the others to rearrange how they do the business to make sure that for people who are logged on to the app at any point in time, they have uh, an average chance of making at least the the minimum wage that's been specified. In Europe, where the uh, legal process and the legislative process has has been more advanced, uh, several countries have confirmed that, in fact, gig workers are employees, and they are entitled to minimum wage, and they are entitled to form a union. There's a group in Spain, for example, that's just negotiated a first uh, collective agreement. Uh, with the, the company and the, the companies can do this. They haven't all, you know, gone out of business. Uh, it does require some changes and it does mean they've got to more actively manage their workforce rather than just opening up and saying anyone who wants to sign on, sign on and leave it at that. They have to make sure there aren't too many people online that, that the resulting income is going to be too low. This is the problem with, with many of these gig applications. You can sign on and the companies say, oh, you can work whenever you want. But that doesn't mean you're going to get a job. If everyone else has signed on at the same time, you could wait hours yeah. for your next job. And you're not getting paid for it. That's the point. So um, this will require the companies eventually to manage their labor supply, I think, more actively and, and get a better match. And that's actually good for efficiency, frankly. It, it isn't an efficient model to have hundreds of people sitting around doing nothing. That's not efficiency. So, um ultimately, I think we can get a delivery and a rideshare industry and some of these other industries that are actually more efficient and more valuable and have better jobs but the the companies are going to have to be pushed to do that by the by the courts and the labor boards
0: so that's the that's the last question then Can that happen? I mean, like you say the 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 company in Ontario once they were pushed. Uh, to try and bring some of this said, okay, we're out of here, we're gone, we're not going to be operating mm. in Canada anymore. So is there, is there a pathway to sort of a, a new relationship between the gig workers and the companies that they're contracted to, or will the companies just say, yeah, we're not interested in doing that, we're going to go to a place where we don't have to?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a number of pathways, actually, Shea. Uh One of them is to take the existing laws and test them. And that has really only just begun. So there are other court cases uh, underway in Canada, including the right to severance for uh, gig drivers who get cut off the app. You know, the, the problem with these uh, jobs as well is that you can be hired and fired without ever seeing another human being. It's all done by the yeah. algorithm. And if you're cut off the app, you've just lost your job. Well, you deserve to have some rights, some notice, you know, some uh, ability to challenge it, et cetera, et cetera. So that that's working through an Ontario court. And there are provisions. And Alberta is one of the provinces where the status called dependent contractor is recognized in previous court decisions. Mm -hmm. So I think there's potential here. A second path would be uh, the unionization and collective bargaining route. And we are seeing uh, gig workers in different parts of the world, including Canada, try that. A third path would be for the governments to get proactive about it and put in place regulations that say, you know, we welcome this business model in the sense that, you know, it's more efficient sometimes to call a a taxi basically on your smartphone app rather than phoning the dispatch office. That's ultimately the difference. But uh, if we're going to do this, we've got to make sure all those people are protected. And I think some clarity in the legislation Uh, would ensure that um, the companies are required uh, to do this. The companies themselves, though, are lobbying hard for governments to do the opposite. They're asking governments to change the laws to basically make gig workers an explicit exemption from the normal labor standards. And That's because they understand what's happening. They see the writing on the wall with these various cases, and they want to short-circuit it by changing the law in their favor. And I think that would be a a big mistake.
0: Uh, One more before I let you go, Jim. it's, It's because I'm getting a bunch of texts from listeners saying, well, wait a minute. What about the Mary Kay lady? What about the lady who comes over and cleans my house? Well, you know, I'm an independent contractor in the oil field. I don't get any of those things. Why should they? I mean, what's what's the difference between these kinds of independent contractors and gig workers? Is it that there was a specific company? Or I mean, what, how come they're entitled to these protections that other independent contractors that we know have been around for a long time aren't?
1: Oh, that's a really good question, Shay. And in a way, that's part of where the whole legal debate is at. There obviously are genuine independent small business self-employed contractors out there doing all kinds of things. And that oil field contractor is probably a good example and there are some common sense tests where you can evaluate whether they in fact are running their own show or whether they're just a worker in disguise and some of those tests are do you own uh, your own equipment do you advertise do you have your own company name do you set your prices this is a very key one because in uber's world you don't it's all controlled unilaterally by the company so if you pass some of those tests then sure you're a genuine small business person go for it best of luck but the uh, business model of these digital platforms, I think, is qualitatively and legally different, and that's what the courts are starting to find.
0: Makes perfect sense. A uh, Great discussion, Jim. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Shay. Yeah, I appreciate it.